All right, we're beginning here on the top of Nun Gimel Amid Aleph. The Mishnah Yot are following the same form that we've seen until now, which is a person takes a nether from a particular item. What is the impact of that nether? Is that nether limited to the item itself, or does it have broader impact? So here we have a Mishnah that begins, Hanudermina Tmarim, person who takes a nether to restrict themselves in dates, Mutar Bidvash Tmarim. He is permitted to partake in the honey that is made from the Tmarim, what is otherwise known today as silan, which is the date juice that is made. It's a very stable, long-lasting type of juice that comes out of the dates. You can get it in the stores. It's used by the Sfaradim for karoset on Pesach. But it's something that was able to be stored for a long time, and that's how they preserved the dates. Misidvaniot, if a person takes a nether from the sidvaniot, mutar bechometz sidvaniot. Then he's mutar in the vinegar that comes out of these sidvaniot. Now the sidvaniot are grapes that never ripen fully. They never reach full maturation. They are there in the winter time or past the fall season. And that's why they're called sidvaniot from the word stav. And since they never ripen, they are directly used to make chomets, to make vinegar, as opposed to normal vinegar that's wine vinegar where you take the wine, and then from the wine that goes bad, it turns into vinegar. Over here, these never reach the point where they can be made into wine or grape juice because they never ripen fully, and therefore they're directly used for chometz. But if a person takes a nether from these sidvaniot, then he's mutar bechometz sidvaniot, then he's able to utilize the vinegar that comes from these sidvaniot. The rosh on the amud bet has a girsa that is slightly different, but he says that they were not called Sidvaniot, but rather they were called the Garse Sfoniot, Kamal Sufei Anavim, that they were called Sfoniot, which means the ends. So whether that means that they were the leftovers of the grapes, the leftovers that were left on the vines, and that's why they're called the Sofoniot, or whether these are the leftover vines, meaning these are the vines that are not as strong or as productive, and therefore they produce these Sofoniot, they bring these Sofei Anavim, that make this chometz sidvaniot. Now, Rabbi Yehuda ben Betero Omer, Kosh's shame told Dato Kruya Alav, anything that has the name or derivative name associated with it, and he takes a nether to restrict himself, Asur biyotze hemenu, then he's also restricted in that which emanates from it. On the other hand, the chachamim say it's mutar. So let's look, there are three different parts to this Mishnah. You have the Tanakhama's position, then you have Rabbi Yudim and Meteor's position, and you have the Chachamim's position. The Gemara will ask, what's the difference between the Chachamim's position and the Tanakhama's position? They both say, Mutar. What are the Chachamim saying that's different than the Tanakhama? And that'll be the subject of the Gemara itself. In addition, Rabbi Yehuda ben Meteor's position is an interesting position, which is that as long as an item is known by its primary source, then that takes on the properties or the qualities of that primary source. So here, when you talk about Dvash Tamarim, since the name Tamar is still associated with the derivative product, with the Dvash, that makes it that if you take a nether from the Tamarim, it still restricts you in the Dvash, because the Dvash is known as Dvash Tamarim. And the same thing with the Chometz Sidvaniot, since if you take the nether from the Sidvaniot, when the derivative product, the Chometz, is taken out of it, it's known as Chometz Sidvaniot. And since that's the case, it will also be restricted. That's Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera's position. 
His language is a little interesting because he says, Usually when you talk about av is the primary object and then tolda is the derivative product. So you would have normally would assume, or the way that you would phrase it is that anything that has the shema av has the primary object's name on it. But the way, or the sense of what Rabbi Huda ben Tereb seems to be expressing, and that's the way we should have explained it over here, is that that anything that has its origins as part of its name, that the use of the word tolada here, not as a derivative product, but rather its origins, how it came about, then that is restricted under the name itself. We're focused on the derivative product's name and how it's associated with the primary product's name. And so Dvashit Marim or Chometz Sidvanit, they're both associated with their origins. So that's Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera's position. Now, Fred asked a question, which is a very important question, which will come up in the Gemara, which is that there seems to be, or there should be a difference between Sidvanit and Tmarim. Because by Tmarim, the date itself is an edible item, as well as the derivative product, the Dvashit Marim, the Stilan, is also an edible product. On the other hand, by the Sidvanit, the object itself is not edible. Its only use is to make chometz. So maybe over there, there should be a difference in the din, and we will see that come up in the Gemara itself. Now, the Ran raises an issue over here that's also raised in the Rashba and by other Rishonim, which is, according to whom is this Mishnah? We saw previously a machloki between Rabbi Yossi and the Chachamim with regards to kum and chalav, with milk and kum. In that Mishnah, we said that a person who takes a nether from Chalav is mutar bekum, according to the Chachamim. And according to Rabbi Yossi, there are sur bekum. The Gemara's conclusion in yesterday's daf was that it had to do with the nature of the vernacular or vocabulary that was used in each of their cities. But what came out of that was that they both agree that if you would call the kum, kum de chalva, then everybody would agree that it's subsumed or a subset of Chalav. Well, if that's the case, then both the Chachamim and Rabbi Yossi over here would say that Dvasht Marim or Chometz Sidvanit, both of them should be considered a part or parcel or a subset of the original item and they should be a Surim. So then the Tanakam over here who says Mutar, whose opinion, whose position is this Mishnah following? It's not Rabbi Yossi and it's not the Chachamim. So that's the question that's posed by Duran. Duran brings the answer of the Rashba first. And he says that, that the cases are not parallel. By the kum, by the way, in the milk, the way was always there. And nothing changed. It's in the same form that it was before. All you've done is create a separation. You have isolated the different parts. And the milk went one way and the way went the other way. And therefore, when you call it kum dechalva, when you call it the way of the milk and you attach it back to the milk, then that's significant because the way was always there and the fact that you're associating it with its source, that makes it or subsumes it under the category of chalav. On the other hand, over here, by the case of Devashit Marim and the Chomet Sidvanit, you're not talking about a product that is simply a separation of the items, but it is a processing of the items and it produces a different product completely. So over here, we could argue that this is different, that even though the name of the primary object or the source is associated with it, that won't have as much bearing or meaning in this case because you've actually processed it and now changed its form to the point where even though it's associated with its origins, nevertheless, it's still not the original item anymore. So that's why the Rashba answers this problem as to why this Mishnah 
is different than the previous Mishnah, and how Rabbi Yossi or the Chachamim could be the authors of this position. The Ran gives an interesting explanation, and he says that it depends why you have the word, the modifying or qualifying word that is there. The reason that you say kuma de chalva is not because there's a different type of kum. There's only one type of whey. The whey comes from the milk. It's the leftovers after you curdle it into cheese. And that whey is always from milk. So when you call the kuma de chalva, the meaning of kuma de chalva means that it is milk. That's why you're calling it. That's whey is milchik. It is a milk product. And therefore, when you say kuma de chalva, you're associating with the chalav. On the other hand, when you talk about devash shel tmarim, or chometz shel sidvanit, over here, the reason that you're using the qualifying word is not to tell you what its origins are or what its status is, but rather its source, in order that you don't mix it up with other items. Because there's devash shel devorim, there's honey that comes from bees, and there's devash shel tamarim, and there's honey that comes from tamarim. So the reason you associate the word tamar over here with the devash is not because the source, or it is considered to be a date, it's because you want to know this is date honey and not bee honey. And that's the reason you use the words. Same thing with chomet sitvanit. You want to know that this is not wine vinegar, but rather, we'll call it grape vinegar. And to distinguish it from wine vinegar, that's why you're adding on the qualifying word. So the qualifying word of each of these cases is not giving definition to the item, but rather telling you, the distinction of this item from other items that carry the same name. So you have Dvashel Dvorim or you have Dvashel Tamarim. You have Chomet Shel Yayin and you have Chomet Shel Sitvanit. And that's why they have these names. As opposed to Kuma Dechalva, there's no other Kuma. There's no other way. So when you say Kuma Dechalva, you're actually defining the object itself and calling it milk. And that's why there's a different outcome by Kuma Dechalva than over here by the Tanakama. And that's the Ron's answer as to how to reconcile between the two. Now, the Gemara asks right away what we pointed out, Chachamim, Hainu Tanukama. Chachamim, who argue on Rabbi Yudim seemingly are the same position as the Tanukama. Gemara says, Ikabinayu, Hadad Tanyo. The Nafkamina between their positions is from this Brayta. Chlal ze Amar ben Alazar. This is the principle that Rabbi Shim ben Alazar established. Cool. Now, the Girsa that we have in our Gemara and is the Girsa of the Ramban, and the Ran quotes that Bishim the Ramban, and most of the Rishonim here have this girsa. As you can see, in the Groh, the Groh had an alternate girsa that came out of the Ushami that would change dramatically the whole view of this sugya. But based on the view of the Rishonim and the Bavli, then we're going to go with the girsa that is present here, but you should be aware of the fact that the Ushami has an alternate girsa. Now, the Gemara is suggesting over here that the Chachamim follow the position of Rabbi Shim ben Alazar. And the Tanakhama does not subscribe to the position of Rabbi Shimon Elazar, and that will be the nafkamina between them. Any item which in itself is edible, as well as the derivative product is edible, the example of that would be tamarim, where the dates are edible and so is the dvash shel tamarim. Kagon tamarim, vidvash tamarim, like dates and date honey. Nadarbo, if he takes a nether, restricting himself in devash, asur mimenu, then he's also restricted in the derivative product in the devash shot marim. Noder mimenu, if he takes a nether about the devash shot marim, asur bo, he's also restricted in the devash itself. So the basis here is that since both items are edible, and there's some connection between the names because the fact that it's called devash shot marim, if you use either one of these items to make them a sword, the other item automatically comes along with it.
On the other hand, kol she'ein darko lechol, but if you have an object which it itself is not eaten, the derech lechol, yes, the derivative product is something that is edible. The example being in our Mishnah, the case of the chometz sidvaniot. In that case, the grapes themselves are inedible. On the other hand, once you make them into vinegar, then they become an edible item. In that case, no der bo, he takes a nether about the sidvaniot themselves, the grapes themselves, enasur elobayotzimimenu. Then you're only restricted in the derivative product. Why would this person take a nether to restrict himself in these grapes? The grapes have no use in a sense of he's not going to eat the grapes. He's not going to engage with these grapes. The only thing he's going to do is going to change these grapes into vinegar. Therefore, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar says, when you take a nether about these unripened grapes, it's deemed to be as if you took the nether about the derivative product, meaning the vinegar that emanates from them. So now, we're going to explain now the machloket here. We have a three-way machloket then in our Mishnah. Tanakama, Rabbi Huda ben Betera, and Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, who is synonymous with the Chachamim over here. According to the Ran, Rashi, the Rosh over here, the Chachamim subscribe fully to Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar's position. And this is the way that our Mishnah looks in terms of the machloket. You have two categories. You have a category of items where the item itself is edible and the derivative product is edible. We'll use as an example for that tamarim and devash tamarim. And we have another product where the item itself is not edible, but the derivative product is edible, that we will call the sidvaniot and the chometz sidvaniot. The Tanakama with regard to, regard to that says, if you take a nether from either item, then you're a sorbo, velo meayotse mimenu, and not the derivative product. So when you take a nether about the tamarim, you're only restricted in the tamarim, not in the devash tamarim. You take a nether about the sidvaniot, you're restricted in the sidvaniot, not in the chometz sidvaniot. That is the position of the Tanakama. Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera comes along and says that that's not the case. In the case of the devash tamarim and the tamarim, as well as in the case of the chometz sidvaniot and the sidvaniot themselves, Yehuda ben Betera says as long as the derivative product still carries the name of the primary item, then if you take a nether restricting yourself in the tamarim, or you take a nether restricting yourself in the sidvaniot, asur vishnehem, you're assuring both of them. And that is Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera's position. So the Tanakhamu believes you're only asur in the object that you take the nether about. Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera says you are asur in the product itself, as well as the derivative, because the derivative carries the name of the primary product. Then the Chachamim, who are Matirim, are subscribing to Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar's position. Therefore, in the case where he takes the nether and the item is edible, like Tamarim and Vash Tamarim, similar to Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera, you'll be asur bishneihem, because that's what was said in the bright over here. The bright of Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar says, that if you take it with an item that's edible, then not only is the object itself restricted, but any derivative product is also restricted. So that'll be asur bishneihem. On the other hand, when it comes to an item like the Sidvaniot and the Chomet Sidvaniot, over there, Rabbi Shimon Alazar says you're only restricted in the derivative product. You're not restricted in the grapes at all, only in the derivative product. So now when the Chachamim come along and say they were Matirim, they are Matirim because the Tanakhama believes that you are sur in the Sidvaniot. Not in the Chomets, but in the Sidvaniot. Rabbi Yudav and Matera says you are sur in both of them, both the Sidvaniot and the Chomets, the vinegar, which is the derivative product. Along comes Rabbi Shimon Alazar, the Chachamim, and say they're Matir. They say you're never restricted in the Sidvaniot themselves. 
which both the Tanakhama and Rabbi Yudhim and say you are sore. But you're only a sore in the derivative product in the Chometz Sidvaniyot. So that's the way that the Ran, Rashi, and the Rosh explain the Mishnah, saying that we are fully subscribed to Rabbi Shimon Alazar, the Chachamim, believe in his position. And the meaning of the word Matirim is about that one instance by the Sidvaniyot and the inedible item, the fact that the item itself is not restricted, only the derivative product is restricted, and that's what it means, Matir. Suppose Rabbi Huda ben Mitzir and the Tanakama who are Oser, the Sidvaniot, the Chachamim are not Oser, those Sidvaniot. Then Tosafot brings two other possibilities of the explanation here of the Machloket. In both instances, Tosafot says this line, which is, The Chachamim don't fully subscribe to this position, Rabbi Shimon ben Alazar. The Vadai bidvasht marim, because by the dates and the date honey, they definitely don't hold like him. The only time that they agree with them is in the case of the grapes and the vinegar that derives from the grapes. So in both instances, the way that Tosavot explains the position of the Chachamim is that in the case of Tmarim and Dvash Tmarim, you're only restricted in the Tmarim themselves. Because you took a nether about Tmarim and they're edible. So you meant what you said. You're a sur in the Tmarim. In the case of the Sidvaniyot, where you took the nether about the Sidvaniyot, which really doesn't have any meaning because they're not edible, then we transfer over, we deem the nether to have been taking place on the vinegar, and we say you're only a sur in the vinegar, not in the Sidvaniyot. The way Tosvot describes it, that the position of the Chachamim is not in full subscription to Rabbi Shimon Elazar's position, but only on regards to the Sidvaniyot case. That's in both cases. Tosavot, both explanations. One explanation, he follows the Ran, Rashi, and Rosh's explanation of the Tanakhama, Rehudu, Bimintera. He just changes the Chachamim's position to what we just said. In the other instance, he brings a second interpretation that also changes the Tanakhama's position. And in the Tanakhama's position, by Dvash and Dvash Tmarim, then you are only restricted to above, below Yotzimimim. And when you, when you say Tmarim, it's obviously Tmarim and not Dvash. What Tosavot says in this alternate explanation is that both Sitvanit and the Tamarim are considered to be edible. And therefore, the Tanakhama's position is not differentiated. But in both cases, these are edible items. And when you take the neder, then it affects the edible item and not the derivative product. And the diok that you would make out of his position is that if it was an inedible item, then he would agree that you're a surbo ubiyotsemimeno. Then he would agree that you're a sur in that item, plus the derivative item, because of the fact that the item itself is inedible, so it must cover more ground. On the other hand, the Chachamim, like we said before, according to Tosafot, say that you're a surbo, but not the Yotzei Menu, with regards to Dvash Tamarim and the Tamarim, versus the case of Sidvaniot, where you're only a sur in the Chometz and not in the Sidvaniot themselves. So Tosafot gives two other alternatives about how to explain the three-way Machloket over here, but the main premise of his position is that the Chachamim do not fully subscribe to Rabbi Shimon ben Alazar, as opposed to the version of the Ran, the Rosh, and Rashi, who say that the Chachamim fully subscribe to that position of Rabbi Shimon ben Avazar. Okay, the next Mishnah says, Anudermina Yayin, person takes the nether from wine, Mutar b'yayin tapuchim. He's Mutar and cider. Because Yayin tapuchim, when someone says wine, they don't think of apple cider, they think of wine that comes or derivative of the grapes. Mina Shemen, Someone who takes the nether to not get benefit from oil, mutar b'shemen shumshemin. He's mutar in sesame oil or sunflower oil, whichever one or whatever product that they're speaking about here, because stam shemen is shemen zayit. It's talking about olive oil. 
If a person takes a nether from oil, he's talking about olive oil. He's not talking about shemen shum shemen min advash. A person who takes a nether from honey, mutar bidvash tamarim. He's mutar in the honey that's made from dates. Because when you use the generic word dvash, honey, people understand if you go to the store and buy honey, that you're not buying date honey, that you're buying bee honey. And therefore, when you use the word dvash, dvash means dvash and not dvash tamarim. Minachometz. Someone who says they're going to buy vinegar or they want vinegar or they're restricting themselves in vinegar, then they're talking about wine vinegar. Therefore, they are mutar bechometz sidvaniot. That's why they are mutar in vinegar that derives from these unripened grapes because that's not your typical or generic type of vinegar. Minakrishim, from leeks, mutar bekaplutot. Then you are mutar in the kaplutot. The Rishonim explain over here that kaplutot are a type of leek it's a different species of leek, but differentiated enough that it has its own name. And that's why it's called kaflutot. Rashi, over here, based on the girsa of the Bach, says that the krishim are ktanim, are small leeks, and the kaflutot are larger leeks. The Rambam and the uh, Parish Hamishnayot, in talking about the krishim versus the kaflutot, so it has to do with the origins of the kaflutot, Shema Kartin Shebeert Yisrael. Says Kaplutot are just the leeks that are the Israeli leeks. Versus the Babylonian leeks, which were known as Krishin. The Eretz Yisrael leeks were known as Kaplutot. So it's just, again, the same item, but a different species. But when you talk about it, they're differentiated enough and have their own name that when you say Krishim, it doesn't include Kaplutot. Mina Yerek. Someone takes a nether not to get benefit, not eat vegetables. Then he's Mutar Bayarkota Sadeh. He's mutar in wild or the field vegetables. Shehu shem levai. Because nobody calls just vegetables items that grow out in the fields or grow out in the wild. When people use the word vegetables or yerek by itself, they mean garden vegetables. And so the word yerek covers garden vegetables, but not yarkota sadeh, because nobody refers to those generically as yerek or as vegetables. They always include the qualifying word, the nismach, which is yarkota sadeh. They're always described as either wild vegetables or the vegetables of the field, and therefore they are distinct from Yurakot themselves. So, Tanya, here to answer your questions, you're all asking about the nature of the Mishnah, which we've discussed before, that the Mishnah is talking about its time and its place, and the Rambam made that clear in the beginning of the Perak. And here the Gemara makes it obvious that it has to do with the vernacular and the way that the word is used in the time or location that you're found. Tanya, Hanudermina Shemin Be'eretz Yisrael. Someone takes a nether from oil in Eretz Yisrael, mutar b'shemen shumshemin. Oil in Eretz Yisrael, the primary source for oil in their day in Eretz Yisrael was olive oil. So when you met shemen, and use the generic term shemen, you're referring to olive oil. That means that you're mutar in shemen shumshemin because it's not a product that was found in Eretz Yisrael, and a person would not have that in mind. Vasur b'shemen zayit. And of course, he's restricted in olive oil. Ubevavel. If you're in Bavel, Asur B'Shem and Shumshumin, primary oil was this sunflower or sesame oil. Therefore, if you take or you say a nether with the generic term Shemin, that's what you're referencing. Umutar B'Shem and Zayit. And it's permissible to use olive oil because olive oil was almost not found in Bavel at all. Therefore, when someone says Shemin, they clearly would not have had in mind to exclude olive oil. Now, what happens to a makom? What about a place? And like in the modern era where 
oil comes in many different versions, and there are many different. There's sesame oil, olive oil, there's safflower oil, there's canola oil, corn oil, all these different types of oils. And people utilize all those oils. Asur bezeu bezeh. Once it becomes a situation in which people use the word oil interchangeably to mean any of these items, and therefore when you say oil, it could subsume under that name all of these different types of oils. You're asur in all of the oils. Where it says pshita, of course, if oil means safflower oil, canola oil, corn oil, because people call all of those oil, then of course you're restricted. When you say oil, you're restricted all of those items. It says, that most people utilize one particular type of oil. There is a rove here. The other oils are used in the minority or used by lesser people. Nevertheless, what I thought, we should go after the rove, because by Yisurim we go after the rove. And so, so too over here, we should go after the rove. We learn from here that suffix Yisura the Chumrah. It comes to a suffix, and in Yisura we go the Chumrah. Now, this is difficult for a number of reasons, which is, we do use rov. When it comes to Isurim, we always talk about rov. Like, for instance, earlier in the Mesechta, when we were trying to define words like cherem. Is cherem mean cherem koanim, or does cherem mean cherem lashem? So we said, depends where you are. If you live in Yehuda, if you live in the Galil, based on what the majority of people use the word for in those locations. In Yehuda, cherem on the majority was used to mean cherem koanim. Whereas in the Galil, cherem on the majority was used to mean cherem bedekabayit or cherem lashem. So based on that, cherem in the Galil had meaning in the context of nidarim. Whereas by Yehuda, if you use the word cherem, it had no meaning in the context of nidarim. So we see that we do invoke the principle of rov in order to understand where the Easter is or what the Easter is. So why over here all of we say, oh, there's a rov, but we don't abide by the rov over here. Kamashman, that suffix Yisura goes the Chumrah. And when you have a suffix in an Yisura, we go the Chumrah. That's all great, but Rov is usually a determining factor, a way to, to decide these types of issues. So why over here do we not use Rov in order to be Machria, the case? We should be able to utilize it to solve our problem. So the Rishonim come up with different types of differentiations between this case and the case before. One of those differentiations has to do with the nature of the nether. Before, when you talked about cherem and other words that we used before in the darim, the question was whether it was a nether at all. So when it comes to determining whether it's a nether or not a nether, over there we will invoke the principle of rov. And rov will tell us it is a nether, or rov will tell us it's not a nether. In our case over here, we know that it's a sur. We know that he took a nether and there's something that's a sur. We don't have any question that the nether is effective, and we have no question that he made something a sur. Over here we're trying to determine what this word covers, in that case, rov won't have an impact. Rov won't be machriya to tell us that this is a sur and this is not a sur because we know something is a sur. Once we know something is a sur, then the word will cover more ground or greater area than if we're trying to determine whether there is or is not a neder. That's one of the ways to explain the difference of why we don't invoke the principle of rov in this case. Others suggest that we only use rov to be machria when the two positions are mutually exclusive. So like in the case of Yehudan Galil, where cherem, lekoanim, and cherem lashem are mutually exclusive. You can't have both explanations be right or true. You have to pick one of them. Over there, we'll let the rov dictate. Over here, the word shemen 
is not mutually exclusive. It can mean Shem and Zayt. It could also mean Shem and Shum Shumin. Both of those are fair meanings of the word, and they're not mutually exclusive. Just because Shemin means one does not mean that Shemin doesn't mean the other. And therefore, since they can be used without being mutually exclusive, we won't invoke the principle of Rove to be Makriya, to make a decision. Because we can incorporate both without having to make that decision using Rove. That's another way to differentiate here in the case. The other possibility is that there is a difference over here. And the Rambam actually passes this to Halokha, which is that when it comes to the Isur that is the Rove, for instance, over here, where you have Shemin. If the majority of people use Shemin as Shemin Zayit, then a person who takes a nether about Shemin and then utilizes or eats or consumes Shemin Zayit, that person will get Malkot for violating their nether. On the other hand, the Miut, it's a sore for them to use it, but they won't get Malkot for it. So the Rov is Machriya, the Gabe Malkot. It does determining factor over here, but the Gabe Isur, it's not a determining factor. And that's what the Gemara says over here, Safik Isur the Chumrah. Regards to Easter, we make everything a sur. With regards to the makot, then we will follow the rove, and the rove will determine where the person gets makot and where they do not get makot. So now that answers the question that you were all raising about the Mishnah, which is that everything depends on the vernacular and what people utilize the word today. So if they use the word oil to mean multiple items today, then when a person says oil, he means all of those items. It's encompassed in his nether. Now whether the person gets to define this or we define it for him, is somewhat subject to Machlokot Rishonim we saw earlier in the Mesechta, as to whether we allow a person to interpret the nether. If he gives us a plausible explanation for the nether, and let's say he's saying the rove, I meant the rove and nothing else, it's very good likelihood that we would believe him and assume that that was the scope of his nether. On the other hand, if he tries to tell us I meant this, or I meant this minority item, or this smaller item, this unusual type of item, they were less likely to give credence to his explanation of the nether because it doesn't seem relevant or plausible. Again, if you can explain in context that it makes sense or that's what he was speaking about, then we would believe him. So over here, you have to balance between the person's explanation of what they meant, if they do have an explanation, or maybe the whole Gemara here is talking about a case where the person just said the word and had nothing in mind. And now we're trying to determine what that word means. And that's the nature of the Gemara here, not when a person has a particular thing in mind or is telling us what they meant when they took the nether. This is Minyona de Yoma, that a person takes a nether from Yerek in other years besides the Shemitah year. In that case, they're restricted in utilizing the vegetables or consuming the vegetables that come from the garden. It's mutar in the vegetables that are the wild vegetables, the ones out in the fields, because that's not covered by the word yerek. When it comes to shvi'it, asur b'yarkota sadeh, then he's restricted in the yarkota sadeh, umutar b'yarkota gina, and it's mutar in yarkota gina. That is because what is the primary vegetable in each of these instances? In the other six years besides the shemitah year, the primary vegetables come from the gardens. And therefore, when you use the generic term yerek, you mean the vegetables of the garden. On the other hand, in the Shemitah year, where it's a sewer to plant, it's a sewer to have the vegetables growing in the garden. You can't work the garden, you can't plant them, you can't seed the garden. So there are no vegetables in the garden. So when a person talks about a yerek, the only yerek that's available during the Shemitah year is going to be yarkota sedeh. That's the only vegetable that's around or is available to the individual. So therefore, in the Shemitah year, the only thing when he says vegetable, the only thing you can be thinking about is Yarkota Sadeh. 
It's talking about these wild vegetables that grew by themselves. Because it can't be anything that was planted or brought up by itself. So therefore, Yerkota Gina are out. Yerkota Sadeh are in. And therefore, when he takes the nether of the generic Garak, he's referring to Yerkota Sadeh. Now, it's interesting. None of the Rishonim raised it here, but it's an interesting problem, which is that Yerkota Sadeh are Svichim. And Svichim are Surim. So whether this is prior to the Xero of Svichim, that's one possibility, or the other possibility is that those items grew Mishishit. They started in the sixth year, and then they're only picked in the seventh year. So then they may not have a din of Svichin, and that's why they may be mutar to eat during the Shemitah year. Rashi also adds a, a dynamic here, which is that, Shalem Sumchim Shvit Shehifkiru Aginot Laniim. Because, yeah, the vegetables that are found in the gardens are available to everybody. So therefore, they makir the gardens to the aniim, so they don't consider that to be the vegetables or items that are going to be theirs that they can take. Yerkota Sadeh, those that are out in the field, that is where the person has his focus on because not everybody's there and it's not a competition to get to those. When a person talks about Yerk during Shemitah, he's referencing those Yerkota Sadeh, those vegetables that are found out in the fields, not those that are found in the gardens, even though there might be vegetables there because he's sharing that or his competition for the gathering of those vegetables because everything is hefker, the aniim. This changed. It's only true when they don't import, when they don't have vulchul, when they don't have yavul that came from chutz laaretz, then that's true. In a case where they bring in, they import vegetables from chutz laaretz into Eretz Yisrael, asur. Then even yarekot ha-gina would be asur during the Shemitah year. Because then there will be garden vegetables available. And again, when you have garden vegetables, that's clearly what he intended. Now here you have a machloket within the Rishonim as to what is the outcome of this. When we say over here that when they bring in Yerak Mechutz Taaretz Taaretz, does that mean that now only Yerakot Gina are Asurim? Because then Stam Yerak is Yerak Gina and the imported Yerak will be covered. But Yerakot Asadeh will remain Mutarim. Or does it mean now that both are Asurim? Since both are the primary source of vegetables during the Shemitah year, which is the imports plus the Yerkot HaSadeh, and when the person says that he's a Surbe Yerik, he actually means both of them, because those are the primary sources of his vegetables during the Shemitah year. Unclear from the Gemara what is covered by this. In the end, whether it's both of them are covered or only the Yerik Mikutz that's covered. Kitanaye, this is similar to Machloket Tanaim that we saw. Emivin Yerik Min Chutz La'aretz La'aretz. One may not import vegetables from Chutz Laaretz into Eretz Yisrael. Yechanan ben Gamliel says, you're allowed to import vegetables from Chutz Laaretz. My time with the Mandamar in Mivin. What's the reasoning behind? Position that says you can't bring vegetables and you can't import them from Chutz Laaretz. Because of the dirt. We know that there was a Xera on Eretz Amim that they carried Tuma. And in order not to import that tumah into Eretz Yisrael, and generally when vegetables are picked or brought in, they're full of the dirt, or they have clods of dirt, clods of earth on them, from Chutz La'aretz. And therefore, they are problematic in terms of importing the tumah into Eretz Yisrael. So one who restricts it, restricts it for that reason, that we don't want to import the tumah into Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, he says that even though maybe you could wash them off, you clean them off, but that's not what happened every time. So because of that, he restricts it completely. The other Tano believes that it's mutar because you clean them off. You get rid of the dirt and you can bring in the vegetables from Chutz 
Later on, there is Rabbi is Matir, the importation of vegetables from Chutzarts into Eretz Yisrael to help out the Aniyim and to help out the situation, the difficult situations during the Shemitah year. So obviously, this is all prior to that Heter to bring in the stuff from Chutzarts. And here you see there is a Machlokit, whether one is allowed to import or not import those vegetables. But if it's in a location that does import the vegetables, then it would be impactful in terms of what the meaning of his nether is. Because if he says Yerik, then, then there are garden vegetables that are around, even though they're not sourced directly from the location, but imported, they still would be what he had in mind when he took the nether. Okay, the next Mishnah says, person takes a nether in a kruv, person takes a nether from cabbage, a sewer bisparugus. He is restricted in this asparagus. Now, asparagus, according to most of the Rishonim here, is a min kruf. It's a different species of cabbage. Since it's a species of cabbage, and it's known to be clearly part of the cabbage family, then the word kruf incorporates in it this word asparagus. On the other hand, the Rambam in the Parish Hamishnayot says something interesting. The Rambam says over here that asparagus is korim ha-mayim shushokim behena yirakot. The water in which vegetables are boiled is the yerek shiyeh. Doesn't matter which vegetable that you're talking about, but any vegetable that is cooked in that water, the water that the vegetable is cooked in, I would call it maybe a broth of some sort or a vegetable juice. It's not clear what he meant by that, but those are what is known as asparagus. So asparagus is not particular to proof. It's a term for any vegetable that's been cooked or boiled or made into a broth sort. That that's called asparagus. So over here, if you say kruv, it includes asparagus, which in this case would mean the water that had the cabbage that was boiled in it. If you look down in the Hagota Gra, the Hagota Gra brings the parish of the Reb Haigon, who says that kruv, it is cabbage that's soaked in wine. And in Greek, the morning wine was known as asparagus. And it seems that this morning wine included cabbage that was soaked inside of the wine. So in both those cases, according to the way the Rambam says it, according to the way that the Rav Hai says it, it makes a lot of sense that Isparukus is included when you say Kruv, because Kruv is a major ingredient or a major part of it. In the way the Rav Hai Gon says it, it's the cabbage wine or the cabbage that's soaked in the wine, so it's a major part of it. According to the Rambam, the water is a Kruv derivative or even maybe a broth that came from the boiling of the cabbage inside of it. So it's carrying the name, the cabbage, it's like cabbage water. Or cabbage broth. But on the other hand, if he takes the nether, I mean, asparagus, mutabe kruv. Because kruv is the more generic term that covers all cabbage. Whereas asparagus is either, according to Rashi, it's a type of cabbage. It's a subspecies of cabbage. And therefore, it's included under cabbage. But if you say the subspecies, you don't include the parent species, which is kruv itself. According to the Rambam or the Rav Haigon, those are particular types of dishes, and if you specify the dish, then you're obviously not referring to the generic vegetable itself. Minah grisim, person who restricts himself from crushed beans, asurbe mikpeh, then he is restricted in mikpeh. Mikpeh is some sort of dish that was a thicker type of dish that included in it oil, the crushed beans, and maybe onions or garlic included in it. So if you say grisim, mikpeh is asur because the primary type of mikpeh that is made is that of grisim. Rabbi Yossi Matir. On the other hand, Rabbi Yossi says, it's fine. Mina mikpeh mutar be grisim. On the other hand, if he restricts himself in the mikpeh, 
that he's mutar begrisim, because mikveh is a larger category. The majority of mikveh are made from grisim. So therefore, if you say grisim, then the mikveh of grisim is restricted. On the other hand, if it's the other way around, where you restrict yourself in the mikveh, mikveh can be made out of the grisim, out of these crushed beans, but also there are different types of mikveh. And so therefore, it's not exclusive to the beans. And if you restrict yourself in mikveh, that does not mean that you're restricted in these crushed beans. On the other hand, if a person says he's asur min a mikpeh, asur bishum, then he is restricted in garlic. Rabbi Yossi matir, and Rabbi Yossi is matir in this case. Now, min a mikpeh asur bishum is because every mikpeh had garlic in it. So therefore, garlic is the primary item, taste, flavor, or product that is associated with mikpeh. And the Rosh actually formulates it this way. It's very interesting. He says, Dolo tema. Just like by a case where you take a nether about mikpeh, you're asun shum, mishum should directly taint shum be mikpeh. So it caused the way that you make mikpeh is to put garlic in it. Who adinami? He nadar mina mikpeh. He takes a nether from the mikpeh, ye asur be grisin. He should also be restricted in grisin, mishum de derech la sota grisin mikpeh. Because generally you make the grisin into mikpeh. Kamash malon, that that's different. The Mishnah is differentiating. The low dummy. When it comes to garlic, garlic is found in every mikpeh, crushed garlic or soaked garlic, whatever it is that they were doing to put the garlic in there, was a major component or ingredient of every mikpeh. Because it gives the flavor, and it is the definition of mikpeh in some senses. Grisin are not the only way to make mikpeh. And so there the Rosh differentiates between shum, which is a primary ingredient and primary taste in every mikpeh. Therefore, if you restrict yourself in mikpeh, you're clearly thinking of shum. On the other hand, when it comes to mikpeh itself and grisin, grisin are not found in every one of these mikpeh. And therefore, you would not automatically restrict yourself in grisin if you took a nether from the mikpeh. And now the Mishnah continues. Minah dashim, asur ba'ashishim. Person takes a nether to restrict themselves in lentils, then they are sur in the ashishim. We saw this quoted in the Gemara yesterday, and there we discussed the different perushim of ashishim. You can see there's a bet here that leads to the gra. The gra quotes the Yerushalmi that describes what ashishim were. It was the same way that the Ryan explained it yesterday that ashishim are these tapuchin, these lentils mikalyan utchinan. They are roasted and then milled umigavlan bidvash, and then you roll them in honey. Umetuganim, and then they are fried, or they are baked in that manner. That was similar to what the Ran said yesterday, these Ashishim are. But he says, Shim, including them, the lentils themselves. Rashi, we saw yesterday, says that it's lechem. It's bread that has lentil flour inside of it. We saw yesterday the Rosh, and here Tosafot over here also says the same thing, that it's psolet adashim. That Ashishim is the residual or the residue of the uh, at the shim of the lentils. And we saw yesterday again the Rambam in the parish of Mishnayot who simply says that it is lentil flour. That's what shishim is. And Rabiosi is matir, and Rabiosi says it's mutar. Mina shishim. And then a person takes the nether from the shishim, mutar ba'adashim. And then he would be mutar in the shim because again, shishim is a subset under the lentil category, but it's not lentils itself. Chita, chitim, she'ani to'em, or she'ani to'em. Person uses a lashon of chita chitin. Now it's not clear here what he did. The Rosh brings two possibilities of what he said here. 
either chitachitim, because he used the double lashon, and he calls it mitura de lashon, from the excess language that he's using here, that's what gives you the outcome. Or on the other hand, the Rosh brings a second possibility, which is, inami that the word chita includes one thing, the word chitim includes another thing, and together, once you combine them, then you've included everything. So each one has its own definition, but once you put them together, it means everything. So one possibility is just to duplicate, or the excess lashon is what creates this. That's what the Rosh says. And in the Perish HaMishnayot, the Rambam writes, it's not here, but he writes it by Dag Dagim. The Rambam over there writes, Da, kibilishonenu, kashit chaber shema marabim. Whenever you put a singular and then followed by a plural, it means the g- general category and the expansion or the volume. And he gives you examples. Hevel havalim. Shir hashirim. All of those utilization of the words in that manner come to include something that's greater, bigger, or larger volume, larger in number. That's similar to the Rosh's idea here that the Yutura shall shown. Or the other possibility, again, is that chita and chitin, as we'll see in the Gemara, are well-defined terms, but once you put them together, now you've included everything. Then you restrict in them whether you have it as flour or whether it's as bread. Grease, greasin. You do the same thing with beans. Then you restrict in them whether they are raw or whether they are cooked. Rabbi now, over here, when we have the Rabbi Yudu Omer, most of the Rishonim believe, Rashi says it over here, Rabbi Yudu Omer, the Tanakama. Rabbi Yudu is not arguing on the Tanakama, he's coming to give explanation to the Tanakama's position, which is, Amar Kunam Garis Ochita, if he uses the singular form, Shani Toeim or Shani Toeim, Mutar Lokos Chaim, a person is Mutar to chew it in its raw state. Meaning that the word Garis Ochita means, for Garis it means Mibushal, it means it's cooked, and Chita means bread. On the other hand, the plural, or the implications from this are that the plural form would be the other side of this, that the plural form would refer to it in its raw state, or in its kernel state, or its flower state. And that's what we saw the Rosh said before, that the combination of the word chitan chitim would get everything. Netanya, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel Omer, chita shani toeim, or shani toeim, asur afot, umutar lakos. If a person uses the word chita, then he's restricted from eating bread, but he's mutar to chew on the raw kernels. Chitim, if he uses the plural form, shani to'em, or shani to'em, asur lakos, then he's restricted in chewing the raw form, umutar lafot, but he's mutar to bake, or to have the bread that is baked from it. Chita chitim, if he uses both lishonot, shani to'em, or shani to'em, asur ben lakos, ben lafot, then he's restricted both in chewing it in its raw state, as well as in its baked state. The word lakos always means the eating of an object or an item not in its normal state or the normal way that it's consumed. So normally the way that chita would be consumed is in bread or in some sort of baked item. So therefore we would assume that that's the natural usage of it. Lakos means what's the non-standard way to eat this or consume this and that is to eat the kernels raw or to eat the flour in its state when it's not baked. And the same is true according to Rishim Gamliel with Garis and Grisim. Garis, Shani Toem or Shani Toem, Asur the Vashel. Then you're Asur in that which is cooked. Umutar Lakos. But you can chew it in its raw state. Grisim, Shani Toem or Shani Toem, Asur Lakos. Then you're restricted in eating in its raw state. Umutar the Vashel. 
and you're mutar to have that which is in a cooked state. Kris, krisim, if you use both terminologies, again, whether that's because you have the yutura de la shon, the way that the Ramam explains it, or because now you've used the two possible definitions of what this would be used for, and therefore you've incorporated everything, then you're restricted in whether it is cooked or whether it's in its raw state. Now the way that the Ran explains this, as well as the Rosh explains it over here, is that the word chita and the word grease in the singular form refer to an entity that is singular in nature. Bread is a singular product that comes out of the wheat. So therefore, when you use the singular form, it means that you're referencing to that object or that singular object. And when you use the plural form, then you're talking about items that are discrete. And that's true when you have in its raw state. In its raw state, each kernel is independent or discrete. And therefore, each bean is discrete. And that's why the plural form refers to the raw state or the unprocessed state versus the singular form, which refers to the processed, cooked, or baked state of the item. And as we said before, according to Rashi, and here the Rosh says the same thing, that Rabbi Huda does not argue on the Tanakhama. And the positions of Rabbi Shimon Gamliel and Rabbi Huda actually would be in concert which is that the word chita in the singular form references to the baked or cooked item, and therefore lakus chayim would be mutar. And that means that everybody agrees. The Tanakama, Rabbi Yehuda, and Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. It seems that there was an alternate girsa in this position, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. You can see that in the Tosafot, that he has a different girsa. He says chita, shani to'em, mutar la'afot. Mutar to'ev de'afiyah. The chita lomash me'lechayin. Those words just the opposite, that the word chita means something that is in its raw state. Otherwise, chitin mashma lafot. On the other hand, chitin in the plural state, because you use a lot of wheat, or a lot of kernels that are milled to get you the flour that makes the bread. And that's why chitin refers to the baked state. Now, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yehuda, lo plige, to the tavayu garis chita mevushalim mashma velo chayin. But then the Tosfat seems to reverse that position and says that Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda are agreeing. But the way that the Girsa that Tosfat has, it would imply that Rabbi Shimon and Gamaliel is actually arguing on Rabbi Yehuda and the Mishnah because he has the opposite formulation of what Chita and Chitim mean in this case. Okay, with that we end the Perak. Adran Alach, Anoder, Menam Mivushal.